0: Welcome to DTCX On Demand. I'm your host, Lucas Walker. Make sure you join us for the next DTCX event happening in March. There's a link down below, link on the Captivate site to go register. It's 100% free. Marcus Lemon from The Profit will be there. But today... We're not talking to Marcus Lemon. We're talking to someone better, a Forbes 30 under 30 co-founder and chief marketing officer at the world's fastest growing backyard game. If you haven't guessed already, it's the guy who won $100,000 back from PayPal that they were holding, get a truck jack from him, and they just drove off and dumped the trailer. He ran down, chased it like the Terminator. Chris Meade, welcome to to D2CX On Demand.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. Now that we have the victories out of the way, we're so, going to talk about some times that we fucked up because it's absolutely. not all 30 under 30 or winning your money back from PayPal. Sometimes it's you get fraudulent charges and they charge you back too much and then you have to go fight for your payment processor to say, no, people with stolen credit cards like to test them on my site. My I must have been hacked or leaked or something. Yep. And I think it's a, a topic we were talking in the green room that deserves a little bit more attention. because. To, to succeed and to win, you only got to win 51% of the time, which means there are a lot of losses that, that happen along the way and a lot of learning lessons that maybe, maybe someone else doesn't have to go through. Or maybe if you had known that that was even a possibility, you wouldn't have gone there yourself. So I'm gonna pass it over to you. I've been doing a lot of talking. I would love to hear about a time that, that maybe something went wrong. I don't know if if we can swear if we can censor it out. So I'm gonna stop dropping dropping F bombs. If you want to hear that, join me in the garage over on Pit Stop. <laughs> but what's your first screw up story where something just went wrong and you had no idea? Not something that, that wasn't your fault, but something that just came and said, huh. Mm-hmm. Could have been on top of that a little bit
1: better. Yeah. So I won't name drop companies. But we work with a very large retail store, and at the end of the summer season, they decided to take my product, which is one hundred and fifty dollars, and get rid of their summer inventory. So you know which this is year, reasonable. Reasonable like, thing. Yeah, you
0: have a summer product. They got back to school, Halloween. You you would expect it as as sexy as it is to say don't discount at at end of season. It's would be weird if it was full price.
1: Absolutely. So instead of receiving an email from the company saying hey. We have some excess inventory. Do you want to buy it back or do you want us to discount it or do you want us to do anything with it? I found that they discounted it for over 50% off. They were selling it in the clearance section with all the other backyard games at all of our competition. But it was like a flea market. So I get down to the store. I see this going on and I then go check Amazon. And Amazon now has 35 new listers that are not CrossNet. There's uh. people going there, like it's a, a Yeezy drop, and they're reselling CrossNets at a fraction of our cost. And they bought up our buy box. They occupied it for weeks. And this is all leading up to Black Friday. And now I have 100 new listers selling CrossNet. And Amazon doesn't want to take them down, right? Because they're making money. There's a new listing, the listing is getting more popular. And it was just an absolute nightmare. So it took about between us buying back our inventory from Amazon, us buying back inventory from the the retailer and just getting it done, it was like a two-month, like, just nightmare headache. And had we just had better processes in place to, like, work with the buyer, set expectations, like, have that communication, which you don't get, like, as a new brand, you don't really get the buyer's respect. You don't get their time. And it's really on you to, like, make that initiative. And when you're a team of like 10 people, right, it's hard to even find time to do podcasts, let alone like schedule a call with your buyer and like really get on the same page.
0: So, well, I mean, think about the the buyer for the the sports department at, I'm just going to like target or Dicks yeah. or, or Walmart where Wilson, it's probably you're spending time with, with Wilson with every company you can think of. Exactly. And these are companies that are spending more than your entire year's revenue on end caps. One 100%. promotional feature. Like, so, so if you're the buyer, who is your time going to go to? Absolutely. Sally from Wilson, who you've known for a few years, <laughs> and you know that they spent $50 million in promotions? <laughs> and you do Super Bowl tickets, exactly. or those kids.
1: Yeah, 100%. So that was a fun learning one. One other good one, we didn't, we didn't talk about it in green greater, but it just came to mind. When we launch CrossNet, you're importing a product mm-hmm. for the first time. You got a container. And you fill up that beautiful container with nice retail packaging, but you don't protect the retail packaging. So you don't put the brown oh. box on the outside of the box. I opened up this 20-foot container. All my crossnets are finally here. All of them have been penetrated, ripped, broken, and damaged. And all the boxes were destroyed because the shipment was moving around during the container. They're all smashing into each other. I had no brown pack- packaging to protect it, and all my boxes were destroyed. That's how we started crossnet. It's just like that.
0: Oh man, I can just, I can, I can just picture the, the look on your faces. You open it up, you're excited and you just think, what the hell?
1: Spent your entire life savings on the product and that's what happened.
0: So so what was the, the resolution to to that one? Get get in the box and and redo it yourself? Yeah, that
1: was it, bro. You had to go to Staples, print out a box. Like I wasn't going to wait from China. Went, probably paid, 10 bucks a box instead of the 50 cent charge and then yeah that was a tough learning lesson but it also opened up the concept of oh i need to buy my brown protective boxes from china as well to save money so it was a yeah. good hard lesson i've taught a lot of my friends the same thing but yeah it sucks. It really sucks
0: so let's, let's riff on that one first before we jump back to the retail strategy and yeah. especially with containers costing a gazillion dollars right now. Um, and it's worse here in Canada because the, the railway and the Trans Canada Highway kind yeah. of flooded out. So it has to go back down through, through the states and up. So I heard it's 30 K for a container in Canada now to get it to Toronto, That's which nice. is a lot, uh, <laughs> to say the yeah. least w- when importing. What are some of the the things that a brand can do other than the Brown protective boxing to, to protect that shipment? Because I wasn't even thinking of, you know, it's moving around for, for weeks at a time. What else should you be doing either in terms of clearing customs, Mm -hmm. extra packaging you you don't even think of, and maybe even ways to save costs of stuff that you could have gotten overseas and included with your, your shipment and saved a few dollars per unit.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Those were definitely tough lessons for us because we didn't, we weren't buying the brown boxes overseas. We weren't buying the tape. We weren't doing like all the nitty gritty manual work that we take hours to do over here. Now the mm-hmm. crossnets are ready to go like slap a label and they're out the door. Uh, but to mm-hmm. your question, like our biggest mistake like starting was we used a different freight company, a different broker, a different trucking company. And there was like 10 different moving parts. And it really took us a long time to consolidate that to one company to do it from door to door. And that way, we're not getting screwed with all these additional charges because you had no idea if one person was a good rate compared to somebody else. And we had about five different people involved with the entire process because when you're 22 years old starting a company, you have no idea how do I get something from China to my doorstep. And, and it's like,
0: it's like, Apple and Amazon have kind of shifted your your expectations of what it will be like versus the reality of every time it changes hands you have to oversee things you have to sign off on it you exactly. have to figure out what went wrong almost like if you think of a hose every time that you attach that hose to lengthen it you're going to have some leakage and some spill off so how yeah. do you manage those those drop offs at each point
1: yeah uh, exactly and the best thing that we've also done the toughest thing lately actually has been with your your conversation about the increasing of the freight is do we even bring in extra inventory if we know that the freight might be getting cheaper? And that's like the, the biggest concern that we have. Our goal internally is we want to turn inventory four to six times a year. Like that's mm-hmm. it. That's like, that's the gold standard for us right now. We're trying to get there. We're trying to not just import containers for importing sake. And if we mm-hmm. see that costs are going down, which fortunately for us, at least with our supplier, they have decreased a little bit. We're well stocked. We're going in the right direction. Yeah, Maybe. we're going in the right direction. Uh, We're well stocked in Canada right now, so we're not seeing those 30K charges to our 3PL, which is nice. So just being more timely and more strategic around our shipments, like we shouldn't be shipping product in in the middle of November, right? When I know January through March is slow as hell for CrossNet. We shouldn't be over-indexed. So it's kind of getting much more strategic with those buys and then also working with the manufacturer to give them that 90-day lead time. Rather than just throwing an order in their face, it's, hey, this is what's coming down the pipe in 120 days from now being much, much more strategic.
0: So how can new newer brands that maybe don't have two years of sales data make those predictions? And, and it, it was a crapshoot for me and I yeah. I spent maybe a little bit more than I should, should have predicting a couple of distributor orders. Mm-hmm. So how can you manage that balance of being able to have enough inventory to sell but also not sitting on inventory for too, too long?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, my biggest thing, my suggestion, right, is you take your... Online store traffic, multiply that by your conversion rate, and you'll kind of be able to predict how many sales you're doing per day. From there, map out over a 30-day period, 60-day, 90-day, whatever it is, until you're out of inventory. With CrossNet, we have 2,500 units, right? So I can kind of mark down a doomsday. And then from there, I know, hey, my lead time to get from China to my warehouse in California is 45 days. I need to map it out like that. And we literally have a whiteboard and we're just marking down days. It's hard. It's really hard. And then you want to put a buffer in. So, hey, I know I'm getting aggressive on wholesale this week mm-hmm. or this month. Let's let's make sure we have extra fifty percent buffer in case I got a dope order. Because you can't you can't have a dick sporting goods come to you and say, I don't have the inventory. You just can't do that.
0: No. And especially for a seasonal product where they're not going to rebuy in July. It's exactly. get it in, in the spring, hopefully sell out and then get that that inventory next year, especially if you're doing anything like mm-hmm. paying for promotions. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is flyer spots, end caps, any sort of a feature in a retail store. That's an advertising unit that's it's great margin, great ROI, yeah. but you're buying all of that. It's not just the retailers coming to you and, and spoon feeding you cash. You might have to spend fifty k with them before you've even made a single sale, but you know that that fifty k will get you an extra two hundred k throughout the year, so you're more than happy to do it.
1: Exactly. And at the same time,
0: you're also competing against the the big guys. Like if Coors Light decides to or Budweiser decides to have their backyard cornhole game, yeah, they don't care about the they don't care about slotting fees. for them, it's the cheapest billboards in town. Exactly. So They all come and just buy up all that that inventory. 100%. So now that we've uh, gone through that, let's jump back to the the retailer uh, little mess up because I think that that's really interesting on a couple of fronts. One is on the Amazon side of things, which a lot of brands, it's still very iffy to be on, on Amazon. It's almost like you're an Amazon brand or you're a Shopify D2C brand. Yeah. And also with, with Walmart and other retailers, how do you manage those buybacks or putting those provisions in when you are meeting with the buyers? Because I, I feel like that's something you probably didn't know you could do, is the option to buy it back, or how can you open up those opportunities to to buy back your inventory?
1: Yeah. It's, it starts with organization. I mean, we, we just weren't organized. We didn't have map pricing set. We didn't have MSRP set. We didn't have discounted, like, these are our promotional calendars. So right now what we're doing going to the year is we have strict dates that we're doing markdowns with. We're trying mm-hmm. to pair up those dates with specific stores. I know from, let's just call it January 1st to January 15th, we're marking it down with Shields. And then from there, Dix. And then we're also giving those opportunities out to the stores kind of on a first-come, first-come basis. And then the best thing is making sure those map prices are set, locked in. They know they can only discount at a certain time. And then it's also just having... The balls. At the end of the day, if somebody disrespects you, is going to continue to mark down your product. At the end of the day, you have to be the one to say, "Hey, we we're, we're not going to sell to you again."
0: Need these large Wilson balls? Yeah, they're good. They are. It's uh, it's nice. At the not to go off on a t- total tangent, <laughs> but at the the beach near my house, they just put in like this huge volleyball area, which is which is sick. That's um, real. Which is pretty good, but yeah. So I think that that's a, a great point of just standing up to retailers because I I've been in buyers meetings and it, it's whatever Lions Den or Shark Tank you want to yeah. say, it's like fifteen minutes to chew you up next if you're if you're not careful.
1: I've, I've had buyers say, "Yo, we need your sales to increase. We increase three hundred percent in like two weeks. Go like really hard." And then he sends us an email saying. Sales look pretty decent. I'm like, what do you mean sales look like pretty decent? Like we 300X sales and <laughs> it's all to make you happy. And we sold out of your inventory. So it's just, it's wild. Have you ever had any pushback
0: for selling online as well?
1: We haven't had pushback for selling online. We have had pushback for discounting on our .com. So that's one thing that we'll be like, oh, like Black Friday, right? Obviously, I already have Walmart's money. It's already selling in the store. Let's make D2C super profitable that day for cash flow for the business. And, but it's also their biggest holiday. So it's kind of, you have to be aligned there and you can't really do much, but there has definitely been times where we've discounted products or made good discount codes to build that incentive on our store.
0: Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of ways around that of uh, the term community and VIP gets really thrown around a, a lot, maybe a little bit too liberally, Yeah, but if you have people who, want to buy a bunch of units for their family and give them out or coworkers or bulk discounts give those those big discounts as well as anything that's kind of exclusive to to you if you want to do a test run to see if it, if it will I mean I do I'm so CPG heavy but chocolate and vanilla always sells mm-hmm. like Black t-shirts, navy blue shirts always sell. Sometimes for the full gamut of products, you have to go back to the main website if you want just different like carrying bags or different style volleyballs. Or I know that you did the collaboration with Black Wolf yep. earlier in the year. Maybe that's something that's only exclusive through the website. And then it's also happens to be the same discount as through, through the retailer. So there are, I know, some ways around
1: that. Yeah, we even did a exclusive that sunscreen we did with Black Wolf was exclusive at Dillards. So that was a mm-hmm. good way to make the retailer feel special and build a rapport with the buyer was, hey, we have a product we're willing to only do with you. Are you willing to take it? And they bought 5,000 units of it. Like wow. Yeah. So that was fun.
0: That's pretty cool. It's the old uh Black Friday TV SKU code where it's just a little bit different because the components are pretty bad. That's how they make those ninety-nine dollar TVs and they're only like six. Yep. How did you buy back the inventory from, from Amazon and Walmart eventually? Were you just paying the I guess I gave it away, which which retailer it was that, that it went a little back?
1: <laughs> yeah. Eventually, like we saw a lot of the inventory come from on our Amazon store and we'd end up buying it back. We need to relist mm-hmm. it. The biggest issue that we ran into was that like 30 Amazon sellers popped up and it was equally as important to get our buyback buy box back, but also to get them shut down because I didn't want them doing it again or going out to another store and buying it and doing the same thing. So we'd have to buy the product from them, submit a receipt to Amazon to show that we actually bought the thing, and then show that they weren't an authorized seller. It was just a, an absolute nightmare and headache and waste of money. And I oh. wish we could have all just avoided it had we just set solid expectations with the buyer and also just knew internally, like what strings we had to pull.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. I would, I would
1: have rather just bought back the thousand units or 500 units or whatever it Well, was.
0: You can list them on Amazon or at Black Friday or to another retailer and, and get that money back. Exactly. So I guess that's sort of the the last question to to wrap up on when it comes to deals like that in Walmart or any large retailer where you you sell it sell it to them. Let's just use base numbers for for easy math. But let's say your product is a hundred bucks. You're selling them at fifty, and then it goes on clearance sale at forty. So they're taking a loss on that. How does that impact you? Do you have to pay them back? Do you have to give them any additional discounts? What do those conversations look like? Let's say you didn't find out that it was on sale and then you're having that meeting next door with the buyer and they say, Oh no, we actually put it on clearance and we lost $10,000. So we need you to to make that up. What, what do those conversations look like?
1: Right now with our retailers, each conversation is a little bit different. Some of them have pre-negotiated discounts, like markdowns into it. Like we're working with mm-hmm. Sam's Club this year with about 400 locations. So I know towards the end of the season, we have a certain percentage of the PO that's probably going to be allocated to discounting and marking down just to get the inventory out of the door. Mm-hmm. And then with some of our other retailers... They'll just mark it down, and they won't even charge us. In good faith, we continue to hope that they buy, and we try to support them with like digital ads. And if any like a third retailer emails me and says, "Hey, we're struggling with sell through," I'll actually start running Facebook and Instagram and TikTok ads directly to the retailer site, mm-hmm. which historically I never want to do because the margin there is pretty terrible. But it goes a long way, just even just to show them some type of support. And that's kind of the best yeah. thing we can do, right? It's either I go buy a billboard outside of Dick's Sporting of Goods and say CrossNet sold here with an arrow down, or I could run paid ads directly, show them the back end of the Facebook ad manager saying, hey, I dropped 10 grand today trying to support Dick's and also CrossNet at your store. And oh, there's a sales lift here every seven days that we're monitoring and it seems like it's doing well. So here's us trying.
0: Yeah. And was very surprised to learn is it's so relationship heavy on the retail side of things, it really of is. working with a buyer, taking some time to to build that. And if if you listen to the first two episodes of Bricks and Clicks with Colin and Johnny talking about that, sometimes buying promotions, it, it's not the direct ROI that you're after. It's just almost getting access to the buyers to actually care about you and be able to take your meetings and pick up pick up calls. They don't want to work with retailers that never do any buying or they're, hard, or they're hard to work with.
1: It's almost, I mean, the sales are really important, but that relationship is everything, man. Like just getting them to respond, having a meeting, being able to like have trust that they're going to respond and like try to do the best thing for your brand. Like our first store, Shields, I have the best relationship with their buying team. Like love them. They're just an amazing group of people. And I know they have cross that's best interest at heart and they're always trying to put like us first, which is a great feeling.
0: That's awesome to hear. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. You mentioned a bunch of retailers you're in, Shields, Dick's, Walmart, Amazon.com. Up here in Canada, you can find us at Toys R Us. We still got it with Jeffrey, The Draft, Sportcheck, Amazon.ca. If you buy, make sure you leave a positive five-star review. If you buy a cross and after listening to this, watching it on YouTube and you leave a one-star review, what the hell is wrong with you? Chris is going to come find you, but if you want to come find Chris, we have a special little announcement. Where can people find you, Chris?
1: Oh, you'll be finding me here with the DCCX community. I'm going to be having my okay. own show pretty soon. So uh, yeah. stay tuned for that.
0: So if you like this real conversation, I'm probably probably going to be keeping it a little bit more broad, going a little bit more on the tech side. Chris is going to be really focused on the, those hardcore merchant conversations, including things like up when you go to your retailers, subscribe to the channel on YouTube. We might Replay some of those here on the DTCX On Demand podcast. I like a good replay. It's good content. You can listen to it while you're on the beach practicing your skyballs or whatever you're doing. Why are you laughing? It's the best serving technique It is, is a
1: good serving technique. Let me, let, me, let me see you my skyball. <laughs> I've never landed it. You're,
0: you're not. Yeah, but you also can't stop it. If I did the skyball, you're... That's true. And on that note, we are out I don't have a good sign off yet, so I'm going to reuse my same one. Chris, make sure you share this episode with your mother-in-law and make sure she tells at least two more
1: people. I can do that.